I have some things on my heart that I want to share, and I don't even know. I mean, I, you know, I typically don't call anything that I preach a sermon. It's just always just a burden. There's just things that God puts on my heart that I want to share with you. And so I want to share some things. We're in a series, and this would be the conclusion of it, Homecoming, Homecoming. And we've been talking uh, from Luke chapter 15. And so get your Bibles, and uh, you got your Bible, you can turn or click. And um, you know what I miss? I miss in the old school church when they said, you know, turn to Luke 15 and you heard all the pages. Like maybe somebody could invent, like maybe they could put that on the version app to where when you open it, it goes. Because then everybody opening the app together, I'd hear the. And it would just sound holy. You know what I'm saying? It would, it would sound holy. Um, but we've been in a series in Luke chapter 15. Um, talking about the prodigal son. Well, probably one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells is this is probably up there, at least in the top five. Most people have at least heard a reference to it. Um, and we've been talking about that for several weeks. And I wanted to end today on our birthday because homecoming just fit the theme for our birthday. And um, and so in Luke chapter 15, you kind of know the drill by now if you've been tracking with us through the series. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with sinners and, and tax collectors and there's so much we could say right there. And um, that the Bible, I'm sorry, I just got to say, it, the Bible just seems to group tax collectors with sinners. And um, I, you know, work it out. And, um, but um, in Luke chapter 15, he's hanging out with these sinners, having this kind of extended meal fellowship, we would call it in church, fellowshipping with the sinners. And the, the religious people get upset and um um, because religious people <laughs> care more about being right. As if you want to find a religious spirit, just find out who always has to be right. So anyway, Jesus is, and they're like, you know, you can't hang out with these people. And so Jesus tells these three Stories: a shepherd lost a sheep, a widow who had lost a coin, and a father lost a son. And we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 15. And we know that the father had two sons, and the youngest son came to him and said, give me the, the portion, give me my inheritance. And the father gave, said divided to them um, their inheritance. And then the younger son left, and we know he goes to Vegas, not not. Not to see Celine Dion or whoever's doing a thing in Vegas nowadays, but, but not to play golf, but to do all the bad stuff. And he does all the bad stuff, and he's broke, and uh, he ends up in the food service industry, <laughs> and he's serving pigs. And then he says, I, you know, my father's servants have it better. I'm going to go home and just ask my dad if I can serve in his house. Not be a son, but serve. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? So I'll rise and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and, and before heaven I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just make me one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when his father was still a great ways off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Because when you come home, you want to tell the father why you don't deserve to be at home. And he doesn't even listen. He's like, no, bring out the best robe. Bring out the best robe. Um, the reference there is actually to a ceremonial robe. It was really a very special and sacred robe, and that's the one he's like, bring out, not a new one, bring out the best one. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So he called the servant and said, hey, what's going on? And he said, your brother's come home and because your father's received him safe and sound, he's killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. He was angry. Only a religious person can look over someone that's being saved because they didn't get something or it didn't go their way. Y'all are quiet. Y'all haven't gone to church with those people, right? People be getting saved and they'll be griping about what color the carpet is or <laughs> what the mural is in the nursery. Like we can't have, did Adam have a belly button? We don't know. Theologically, we're going to have a church split over it, I guess. I don't know. He wasn't born. He was created. Could he have an umbilical cord? I don't know. And religious people are doing stuff like that and they're overlooking what God's actually doing in the house. And so he's overlooking like this son has returned and he is, I'm only worried because he's getting a party and I'm not. Mm -hmm. So the father came out and pleaded with him and he said, he said, look, all these years I've been serving you. Another thing is religious people are narcissists. All these years I've been serving you and I've never transgressed your commandment. And yet you never gave me a goat that I would make merry with my friends But as soon as the son of yours came home and has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. Here's the danger of a religious spirit. You miss him and what he has because you're focused on you and what you do. Come on. Don't get in that trap. It was right that we should have a party for your brother was dead. He's alive again. He's lost and he's found. Um, I called this message in the homecoming series. I thought it'd be fun because it's our birthday. I called this one the reunion, the reunion. Yeah. Um, Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please, if we miss you, we miss everything. If we don't hear you, we're lost, really. So speak. Speak your words. Transform us in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. When I thought about just what I wanted to share today, 12 years, it's hard for me not to get a little nostalgic. And I think back, um, you know, I think it's important you remember where you came from. Um, We were talking this week and some of the staff had been listening to a podcast and it doesn't matter what it was, but it was talking about how sometimes great leaders like in the Silicon Valley and those, they all tell this story about how they started their computer products in a garage. But when you really dig in, they did something in a garage, but they also had plenty of money and they had a state-of-the-art facility three blocks down the road. And so maybe the story wasn't exactly 
But there's something about that organic story, they say, that rallies people or whatever. And um, I, so I told the staff again, I said, listen, the story pathway is for real. Like, we didn't have a lot of money. We really did start in a community center in a neighborhood where I lived at the time. Uh, some of you in the room were actually there when worship was me with an acoustic guitar and my brother, Pastor Mark, if you know him, he had some bongos and a little medicine shaker. And that was how we did worship. A little bit different than today. Just, just a smidge. Because all we had was my acoustic guitar and a music stand. It wasn't even a good acoustic guitar. It's just the one I had, right? Um, and then we moved from there to the Ramada, which is now known as the Motel 6. And I'm so glad it was not known as the Motel 6 when we were there. Because even though Tom Bodette could leave the light on for you, there's just something about Motel 6 that doesn't sound very bougie. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that Ramada is a lot better. I'm just saying, where y'all go to church? At the Motel 6. All right, Bubba. Um, and so we started there. Um, we launched the church September the 13th, 2009. Now the church was actually in my heart 20 something years ago when I was about 19, 20 years old is where God first started talking to me about this church. And we were part of a denomination at the time and, and they didn't do a lot of what we would call church planting. And I remember back then I was like, no, God's called me to plant a church, like not just to take over another church, but to plant a church. And and uh, I just remember God putting that in my heart. And, um, and then I remember September the 22nd, 2008. September the 22nd, 2008, a year before we started is when God actually said, okay, now it's time to start. And we gathered the family and we had months of prayer meetings, just usually in my parents' living room about this church and what did God want to do. So when, when I say we started, we started with $7,000, an acoustic guitar, a music stand, some bongos and a medicine shaker and some prayer meetings. That's how we started this church. It's, that's the real story. And then we moved to the Ramada and thought, we have arrived. And we would rent the Ramada. We were mobile. We'd rent the Ramada every weekend, the meeting room in there. And sometimes they would have really awesome parties, apparently, the night before. And so we had Sundays where we cleaned up vomit so we could have church. We had one Sunday where somebody got drunk and thought it'd be fun to flood the restrooms and we couldn't use the restrooms that, that weekend. So that was the shortest message in church history because I'm like, I got to preach and get people out of here. But God, somehow God was there. And, and we, we, we moved to two services at, at the Ramada and then God opened up a way for us to lease the space that we, we currently use. And it was just amazing as we watched God move and move and move and move and move in, in so, so many ways. Um, and, and all along, just every step, trusting God, every step, God coming through. And now 12 years later, here we are, you know, and sometimes I'll say this after the last two years, um, sometimes the testimony is about the amazing thing God does. Sometimes the testimony is the fact that you're just still here. Right? Like sometimes that's, that's the story. Like you're just still you're still here. Um, I'll be honest, because of all we've been through as a church, 
Um, and I don't want to give glory to the devil, so we won't talk about it. But all that we've been through the church, like even this last weekend, I was sitting with a pastor friend of mine, and we were talking, and he's one, one of my closest friends. But we brought up the conversation, and he said, you know, I was wondering uh, with all that y'all went through if your church, if Pathway would survive or not. And I said, hey, you know, there was a time I kind of wondered. But I said, I can tell you now. Um, and I said, I'm gonna, what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what I told him because you can know what he can know. Um, but I said, when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, there's only one way that you can describe it, and that's a miracle. And I said, I am more convinced than ever that our best days are ahead of us and that God has sovereignly called this church. Not just me. It's not about me. It's about this church and what he wants to do. Because I told him, I said, we went through the last you know, roughly two years. I said, we have yet to touch $1 of our savings. We have paid all of our bills. We have $0 in debt. We have $5 million in capitalized assets, $6 million in assets. And I said, and he just looked at me and he said, are you for real? He said, I have talked to 60 pastors. You're the second one that I've talked to that has, that's not losing money, that's not winded, that's not laying people off. He said, you're only the second one out of 60. And he said, they haven't gone what y'all have gone through. I said, that's why I had to tell you up front, it's a miracle because nobody's that good. No, no elder team is that good. No staff is that good. Surely no senior pastor is that good. I said, we are still here and thriving because this is what God wants. If God is for us. I don't know if you know what kind of miracle that is to be where we're at after what we've walked through. But I told him, I'm more convinced than ever in the calling that God has placed on this church and on these people and, and the calling that he issued 12, you know, 13 years ago or 20 years ago, whichever timeline you want to use. And I said, I, I don't just think, I'm not just hoping, I'm not just praying. I'm telling you, you haven't seen anything yet. I said, I feel like we're just about to get started. He said, I'm blown away. He said, I'm absolutely blown away. You know, sometimes, like I said, sometimes the miracle is in something that happens. Sometimes you just got to acknowledge and say, God, you've been so good because I'm still here. Like there may be some people in the room, like you're like, well, I haven't seen God do. I'm going to ask you this, but are you still here? Are you still standing? Are you still believing? Are you still trusting? All right, sometimes that's the miracle. Are you with me? I'm not saying it's all that God's going to do. I'm just saying sometimes you just need to back up and say, thank you, God. I'm still here. I'm st having done all to stand, I stand. There are times you walk, there are times you run, and there are times you stand. And there's times you just have to say, God, we're still standing. We're still standing, God. And I'll tell you what I feel. I told him, I said, we're still standing, but I feel a run coming on. I feel a run coming on. That's what I told him. I said, I don't know. I'm kind of getting loosened up now. Look out now. I feel a little run coming on. And so God is 
been good to us. I want to share just a few things from this passage as we're talking about reunions. I have four P words. Those are my points. If you need to know the points, you're going to write them down, four P words. Um, and the first one is this, people. People. When we talk about the reunion, you look at this text. Um, there's a celebration, and it's all around people. The only cause to celebrate was people. Uh, this is what we read, Luke 15, 32. This is what the Father said. It was right that we should have this party. Why? Because your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost and he's found. Here's what he said. It's right we should celebrate because he's come home. That's the one common denominator in all three. Well, there are a couple. Let me give them. God is in all three stories, the shepherd, the widow, the father. But the star of all three shows, if you will, or all three stories is the lost person. They're all about what was lost and what was found. That's what the whole story is about. And what is consistent in every one of the stories is the celebration that occurred when what was lost was finally found. The celebration. And what would have been so offensive, really, ultimately, this would have been so offensive to the religious people, because Jesus says, just like this, there is a celebration in heaven over one sinner who repents, because in their day, in their culture, in their time, the Pharisees and the religious people said, there's a celebration when one sinner is damned to hell. I told you religion will make you dumb. And so when Jesus says, no, there's a celebration when a, repent, when, a, when, a, when a person repents. They're like, that was offensive. That was offensive. But what Jesus is trying to show them is you're so religious and you know nothing about God. You know the word and you don't know his heart. And when you have the word of God without the heart of God, you're always in danger of a lot of things. You'll try to kill people he's trying to save. And so Jesus is saying, hey, there's a celebration in all of these over one. You need to understand that for God, think about this, for God, people are the treasure. I mean, think about this. Let me tell you, for God, you are the treasure. Like, um, you, let's play a game. I've done this before, but it's a great game to play. Will y'all play along? Four of you. All right. So um, the four of us are going to play a game. Y'all just wait. We'll be back. You will get no prize. <laughs> but real quick, use your holy imagination. And I'm going to give you the ability to create anything you want to create. Okay, you can create anything you want to create. All right? Like sky's the limit. All right? And you just one thing, but you can create anything. So are you ready? Ready? One, two, three. Create it right now in your mind. Create it. Create it. Oh, 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 oh that's, one. that's a good one. That's good. Yeah, those are good. I'm just kidding. I'm not telepathic. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> um, let me tell you a couple of things. Uh, number one, did, where was the person that created a more venomous snake? Did no, no, didn't get that one. All right, how about a larger fire ant? No, none of that. Uh, anybody create a politician? Just wondering. <laughs> wow, interesting. Now, I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you what the common denominator, common, what we all have in common. If I were to bring you up and say, what'd you create? I'll tell you, 
The, co- the one common denominator they will all have. And all of them will have one common denominator. You ready? You wanted it. No one in here created anything you didn't want. And God said, let us make man. You do not create what you do not want. And I'm telling you, God wants you. And I know, I know, I can hear it, I can hear it right now, because I know how condemnation works, because I've lived under it too. And you're like, yeah, but you know, God wanted Adam, but then mankind messed up, and pastor, you don't know what I did last night, or last summer, or last year. And you're right, I don't, and I don't need to. And you don't know what I did last night, or last summer, or last year either, and you don't need to know that either. And so it's none of your business, shut up. And so, um, <laughs> but I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, God, the only thing that you wanted you made, and that was us, and you made us because you wanted us, and you wanted me, and I was thinking about the people that would disqualify yourself from saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, but this is what I thought, I thought, I thought this, just like God wanted us and made us, if you search all the Bible and all history, God wanted you, and yes, we all messed up, for we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God didn't leave us there, and he could have. Because can I tell you, not only did God want you, there's only been one thing in in the whole history of the world that God was willing to pay for. There's only been one thing that God ever bought, and that was you. For you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Not with the blood, Hebrews says, Hebrews 9 says, not with the blood of a goat or a calf, but with his own precious blood did he purchase your redemption. God, to God, people are the treasure. They're the treasure that's hidden in the field. And can I tell you something? Can I tell you something more? And if God has a most valuable treasure, if there is, if there is a favorite that God has, do you know what Luke 15 tells me the favorite that God has? And do you want to know the favorite that God has? You want to know who it is? It's the lost person. When the son comes home, the father is standing waiting. You know what he's doing today? He's standing and waiting and he's looking. And who's he looking for? He's not looking for us. He knows we're going to be here. He's looking for the lost person. Like that's what starts the celebration in each of these stories is the lost person. That, 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 is, actually, that is actually God's, God's favorite. And, and can I tell you, all right, can I mess you up just a little bit? If that's God's favorite, then who should our favorite be? And I'll be honest, because I got under a little bit of conviction, and I'm going to bring my conviction and share it with you. And I thought, God, when's the last time, like I spent all night praying for somebody that was lost? When's the last time I brought somebody that was lost to church? When's the last time I even thought about somebody that was lost? Like, if you're concerned about this, how much more? I mean, we should be concerned about this. 
Like it, it, it's almost flagrant to, to go through a week and not pray for a lost person, to go through a week and not invite someone to, to come to church. It's, it's almost flagrant to do that when, when you think that if that's God's favorite, God's favorite is not the person that gets everything right. God's favorite is the lost person. That's who he's standing and looking for. And I thought, that's how we should live our lives, in a posture of standing and looking for people that may not know him. Because you know what? Hell is real. Like, I, 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 don't, I know that a lot of, I, I forgot the statistic, but it was overwhelmingly insane. There was like 60% of seminary students nowadays don't actually believe in hell. But Jesus talks about a literal hell, and people that don't know the Lord end up there, and that's why God is burdened and broken over the people and looking for the people that don't know him. And the church is where we have to say, we got to get awake a little bit and be worried about the people that don't know him. Like, God, break my heart with what breaks your heart kind of prayer. Like, God, if you're worried about the lost, I want to be worried about the lost. If you're looking for the lost, I want to be looking for the lost. If you're thinking about the lost, I want to be praying about the lost. Don't let me be apathetic and just being a good religious Christian person. There are more people in this city who don't know Jesus than do. And the only reason this room isn't packed is because it hasn't become a burden of our heart yet. I'm sorry, that's strong medicine, but it'll heal you. And that's where I've been. Like, God, you love people. You love me. You love us. Like, you have saved. Like, sometimes I think you just need to go back and remember what it is to be saved and what you were saved from. Right? Like, what you were saved from. And I just thought, God, you love, you love people. Here's the second thing I saw in this reunion that takes place. There's people, there are these lost people that come home, but then there's the presence of the Father. The presence of the Father. Like, like the Father said to his servants, this is Luke 15, 22. He's like, bring out this robe. Bring out these rings. My son has come home. Like, like his son comes home and has an encounter with the presence of God. I don't know if you know this, but like you were not created to live without the presence of God. You were created by the presence of God. The Bible says Adam, when God formed Adam, that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living being. What brought man to life? the presence of God. What, what does he say? He was lost, he's found. He was dead, and he's alive. Why was he alive? Because he'd come back into the presence of the Father. Like, if you feel dead on the inside, I can tell you what's missing. Most of the time, the sin we get involved in are the things we're trying to do to feel alive. The things we get hung up in, the things we're pursuing. And sometimes it's not even sin. Some people try to use religion to feel alive. Some people try to use bass fishing to feel alive. Some people try to use shopping to feel alive. Some people try to use Oreos to feel alive. And I'm not against Oreos. I would never preach against a double-stuffed Oreo like they made those thin ones. Have y'all seen those thin ones? What kind of demon in hell came up with that idea? 
Like, who's in charge of, who's in charge of R&D at the cookie company? You don't take, the, you need more. Do you take the double stuff, take one side off one, and then you got like a quadruple stuff? Have you ever done that? Set you free, friend. I'm here to help you. But then let me tell you the secret of the Oreo. You take the double stuffed Oreo and you get a spoonful of peanut butter. And you put the peanut butter on. Not peanut butter Oreos. They're not the same thing, friend. I'm trying to help you. And you put that on there and you eat that with a big glass of milk and revival comes. Baby angels sing. It's incredible. <laughs> but as good as that is, it won't make you feel alive. And what makes us feel alive is the presence of God. Because we were created for it, and and we are sustained by it. Um, when you look at Genesis, I'm gonna show you this real quick. I'm gonna run through three three scriptures, actually four, really quickly. But look at Genesis one one eleven. Genesis one eleven says, "Then God said, let us br- let let the earth bring forth grass." Right. So when God wanted grass or vegetation, He spoke to the earth. Right. And so we know that the grass came out of the earth. It's sustained by the earth because you dig it up and it dies. And, and then when it does die, it just turns back into earth, right? Do you see that? And then in verse Genesis 1, verse 20, it says, Then God said, let the, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures. In other words, talking about the fishies, right? And, and so what, when God wanted fish, he spoke to the ocean to bring forth fish. And the fish come out of the ocean. They're sustained by the ocean. And when they die, they return to the ocean. So are you seeing a pattern? And then in verse um, 24, it says, Then God said, let, let the earth bring forth living creatures. So let the earth again, out of the earth come living creatures. They're sustained by the earth. And when they die, they go back to the earth. So here's a pattern that I'm seeing. When God wanted something, he spoke to what it was supposed to come out of, what it would be sustained by, and what it would return to. Are you seeing the pattern? When God wanted to make you, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So when God wanted vegetation, he spoke to the earth. said, come out of the earth, be sustained by the earth, go back to the earth. When he wanted fish, he spoke to the water. said, come out of the water, be sustained by the water, go back into the water. When he wanted beasts, he said, come out of the earth, be sustained by the earth, go back to the earth. But when he wanted man, he said, no, no, no. I will speak to me, and you will come out of me, and you will be sustained by me. And when it's all over, you will come back to me. When God wanted you, he spoke to himself, and he said, I am what sustains you. My presence, we actually live from his presence. Paul said, Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and gives life to our body. Like you were created to be filled with his presence, to live from his presence. And um, I want to challenge you just a little bit. I want to challenge you here because... Um, I want to talk about how full are you? This is what Paul tells the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, verse 18. Paul's talking, everybody say, to church people. We have any church people here? No, no church people here. Good, okay. Ephesians 5, 18, it says, and don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then look at this. And let your hearts overflow with a joyful song. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Essentially, he says, don't be drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Why is it rebellion? Because Jesus drank wine. Because right now, sometimes you got to ask questions, right? So all of a sudden, Paul's saying being drunk with wine is rebellion, but Jesus drank wine. Now, we know he wasn't drunk, but he drank wine. He turned water into wine. I mean, that's pretty. I mean, that's why I think it's easy to follow Jesus, because he is the life of the party. But the reason he says it's rebellion is because it's a counterfeit. God never created anything he didn't intend to fill. And when he created you, he, he created you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He created you to fill you full of him. And so many times we try to fill ourselves full of everything else. Sometimes we're just full of ourselves. <laughs> How y'all doing? Um, and so this is what he said. He said, don't put a substitute in there. Don't try to fill yourself with something you weren't created to be filled with. Don't try to fill yourself with money or success or drugs or alcohol or sex or Oreos. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. Now, let's talk a little bit just a minute. How y'all doing? Let's talk just a minute about when God says be filled, what does that mean? What does full mean to God? Well, according to this, it says overflow. So God doesn't define filled as having some. He defines it as an overflow. So when God is saying be filled with the Spirit, He is saying, just like Jesus said, out of your belly will flow. We could say overflow rivers. So what does that look like? In the New Testament, we we're talking about being full of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. Because how many want a church that's full of the Spirit? Okay, you're the church. So the church will be full of the Spirit when you are. So what does, what does, the, what does full of the Spirit look like? Well, if we go to the Bible, full of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is like fire hats with people walking around preaching the gospel in foreign languages and, and wobbling around like they're drunk. How many still want to be full of the Spirit? Yeah, less. Okay, I knew. Yeah, going down. All right. Praise the Lord. I see you, the three in the back. God bless you. Everybody else, I don't be full. Ethel, get your purse. For Peter, being full of the Spirit meant that his shadow healed people. Anybody want to be full of the Spirit on that one? For Paul, being full of the Spirit meant that he could pray over, over a cloth, piece of cloth, and they could take that cloth and put it on someone who was oppressed or demonized, and they would be delivered. How many want to be full of the Spirit now? That's what it looks like. So we talk about God, and we say, God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. How does God say that? He says, well, until it overflows, meaning you can't contain, like something's flowing out of you. Power's flowing out. Peace is flowing out. Love is flowing out of you. Like when, when it's overflowing, that is full, and full in the Bible means, hey, you may be walking around wobbly because of the presence of God. Your shadow could be healing people because of the overflow. You could be praying over cloths, if you will. And that cloth, there's something overflow. The overflow is so great, it will saturate a cloth that you pray over. If you're sitting there like, Ethel, you know, if you listen, this is all in your Bible, Bubba. I didn't make up any of that. 
Maybe, maybe for so long we've been separated from who we're supposed to be that now when we see a picture of what we're supposed to look like, it looks foreign to us. Because we, we become so good at, at a religious standard of, of religiosity and having church that when we talk about the book of Acts and the way the church was actually birthed, we stand back and say, well, that's so weird. No, that was normal. You're weird. And so now I'm going to ask you a question. Based on the Bible that we just talked about, the overflow of the Spirit, shadows healing people, demon-possessed people being delivered and, and fire hats and all that kind of stuff. Let me ask you this. How many would say, oh, I'm full of the Spirit? Then here's what I'm saying is, why stay empty? I was talking with Pastor Colin this week, and um, he told me this story. I was like, I was just like, wow, I never heard this story. It blew me away. And he said, yeah, when I heard it, I was like, wow. Uh, their oldest daughter, Lizzie or Elizabeth, um, was born with a heart condition with a malady, and they were concerned about the amount of blood flow to her stomach and to, to the point that they said, we're not sure we'll, we'll allow you to feed her because if she were to take milk into her stomach and not have enough blood flow to digest it, that could be bad. And so they're talking to the doctor, and they're, they were concerned, and they said, um, well, she's going to be hungry. And the doctor actually said this, actually... Babies are not born hungry. They don't, they don't know what hunger is until after they have been full, and then they only know hunger as the absence of being filled. Oh, come on. He said, so until she's filled, she won't know what hunger is because they're not born hungry. Come on, back up. Babies are not born hungry. They don't become hungry until they've been filled and digest that, and then they know, they know hunger as, as really the, the emptiness of having been filled. And I told Colin, like, that, that may be what's wrong with some church people. Because if you're here and you're not hungry, I can tell you why. You've never been full. Because when you've been full and you get hungry, you won't be full again. And then he went on to tell me, he said they finally gave her a little bit of milk, but they were going to give it some time. But then once she had had the milk, then she got hungry. So what they did while they were waiting was they took a pacifier and dipped it in sugar water and put it in her mouth so she would have the taste of something, but it didn't actually nourish her. And I told Con, I said, my God, let church never be that. Let us never be guilty of giving people a taste of sugar water when they're hungry to be filled, when they need to be filled. Like there's a people in a presence. Here's the third thing. And then there's the purpose. The purpose. No, sorry. The place. I knew I was missing one. The place, point three, the place. 
um, people, presence, and place. Um, there had to be a place for the son to come home to. Um, and there was a place that was needed for this reunion. Anybody ever been to a class reunion? Like, yeah. <laughs> Some people are like, I'm not raising my hand. I don't care if you Anybody want $100? I'm not raising my hand. You have to have a place to have a reunion. You have to have a place to bring together people in presence. People in presence. When, when God spoke to me September the 22nd, I went out for a walk to pray. I found if you walk and pray, you don't sleep and pray. <laughs> and so, um, so I walk and pray. And I'm not against sleeping and praying. It's just sometimes you don't remember what you prayed about. And, um, and God spoke to me. And one of the verses God gave me was Exodus 25, verse 8. And he said this. He said, he said let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. This, this was God's original call, if you will, straight from the word of God for this church. He said, will you make a place for this reunion? Will you make a place so that I can dwell with people? Um, my concern in our current culture, and I say this all the time, and, and if you're watching online, this is nothing against you, no judgment, no condemnation, no criticism. But I'm concerned that now more than ever, the assembling and the gathering is under attack. N not, by, not by a pandemic, but by the enemy. And, and listen, if, if you've ever wanted an excuse to not gather at church, like, you got the best excuse in the world today. Right? I mean, you know, excuses are kind of like armpits. Everybody's got a few and they all stink. But you've got some of the best ones today because of, of, of the culture in which we live. Right? In fact, I mean, you can now be criticized for going in public. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I feel like it's under attack. And when I was, was looking at this, I, I remember when all this hit one of our elders, Paul, he, he talked to me and he said, you know, I think one of the things you better figure out really quickly is why people need to come to church. And he said, because they're about to have the best excuse in the world never to come back again. And I really, it became a burden with me. I'm like, Lord, I need to be able to know why we, because I grew up, get, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? Uh, one verse says, don't get out of the habit of, of assembling together as some do as you see the day approaching. Like there is a caution from the writer of Hebrews that says, hey, you better make sure that you don't forget or that you don't get out of the habit of going. And that's been my burden lately through COVID. People have got out of the habit and they're like, you know, I could come to church, but I'd rather lay in my bed and drink coffee and watch the live stream. Hey, me too sometimes. Me too. Kind of like the pastor, his wife woke him up in the morning and said, honey, are you going to go to church? He's like, I don't want to go today. Sometimes the people are grumpy. I don't feel like it. Sometimes it's too hot. It's too cold. He came up with all this. She said, yeah, but honey, you're the pastor. There might be days I prefer my bed and my coffee, but, 
but there is a value not that I place on gathering together. There is a value that God Almighty has placed on gathering together. And you see it all throughout. He's the one that said, don't stop meeting together. Yeah, but he didn't know about the pandemic. Are you serious? Are you serious? When you read the Bible in Acts chapter 2, it says, it says, on the, on the, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is the greatest move of God that the, that the church has ever seen in the history of the church. From Genesis until today, the greatest move of God that we've ever seen, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, it says, they were all together in one place. Now, we know there are about 120 people in that room, but I can tell you this from church history, there were more invited. Like, you want to regret all throughout history? How about that one? I could have been in the upper room. That's terrible. And, and, and then in Acts chapter 4, when, 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 the, when the church was falling under persecution and the disciples were actually scared for their lives, that they gathered in a room and it said, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered, the place where they had gathered was shaken. Like, like the church is the place we gather not because I want you to, not because you're religious, not because we're, we're, we're just trying to get brownie points with God, because God established, he said, in Exodus, in fact, go to Genesis. Genesis, God built a place to have a reunion and a gathering with Adam and Eve, and it was a place called Eden, and they met with God there in the cool of the evening every day. God has always had a place because it's the heart of God that says, I want a place to meet with people. I feel more burdened than ever. Somebody asked me the other day, because um, I get asked a lot of questions, and I understand why. I don't mind getting asked questions. They asked me a question the other day. He said, Pastor, you think y'all are still going to build the building? I was like, are you talking to me? Yeah, you're still going to build the building. Why wouldn't we build the building? What, I mean, sometimes we, I'm like, so if I, if I need to answer that question for anyone in this room or anyone watching online, we are going to build the building because it never was our idea, it was God's. And we have $5 million of it paid for, not because we paid for it, but because God paid for it through us. God does supernatural things. And here's how I know we're going to build the building. Because when September the 22nd, 2008, God said, make me a place that I can dwell with my people. It's always been his heart. I'm like, we're going to build the building. I don't care what if you think circumstances have changed. The Savior hasn't. God hasn't changed his plan. He hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't changed his heart. He hasn't changed his vision. He hasn't changed his desire. And yes, we're going to build the church. We weren't ever building it because we wanted it. We're building it because God wanted a place to meet with people. Yeah. 
In fact, if everything stays as it is, probably about the end of January, 1st of February, we'll be launching an initiative to finish the building. We're going to finish the building. In fact, you want to write a million-dollar check today, we'll, we'll get them to work tomorrow. We're going to build the building because it never came from us. It came through us. It came from him. Let me give you three reasons why the gathering is sacred to God, right? The gathering is sacred to God. Number one, power. I told you that when, they, when, when, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were gathered together and the power of God came. Acts chapter 4, when they gathered together, the power of God came. God said, when two or three gather in my name, when they gather in my name, I'm going to be in their midst. He said, there is a place, this is, this is from your Bible, the Old Testament, but he even told them, when he instructed them to bring offerings, he said, bring it to the place where I make my name abide. In other words, there is a place where I make myself known. Like the church is supposed to be a place of power, of encounter. When the church, the first mention of the church, house of God, in the Bible comes to us when Jacob falls asleep. He's on the run, goes to sleep on a rock, and he has this vision of angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And he wakes up and he calls the name of the place Bethel or a house of God. Why was it a house of God? Because of power, because of presence, because of encounter. Like, this to me is what we owe the world as the church, an encounter. People will start, they they will stop arguing with you about your theology when they see power. It's kind of like, there are people who don't believe God heals, and there are people that do. My take on it is if people start seeing God heal people, the people that don't believe in healings will become people who believe in healings. We owe it to the world to demonstrate what we, po- what, what we profess. And so we, we gather because of power. We gather because of people. Look, look at this verse. Look at this verse. Ephesians 4, verse 16. Are you ready for this? This is in your Bible. We gather because of people from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies. Look at that. The whole body is joined and knit together. Right? And then it goes on to say it works when every part does its share, right? And then it causes growth in the body. So so here's what the Bible says. God created you for connection. That's what a joint is. Two pieces coming together. And this is what, what the writer Hebrew or what Paul says to the Ephesians, when two points, when two parts come together, they nourish each other. Like we've had some people recently coming back to Pathway and thank God for them. So glad that you're here. But that's what they said. Like we were, we, we were out and, and we were just missing our Pathway people. Like we just needed to be with our people. We were struggling. And it, what we realized because we weren't with our people. Oh, yeah, I get it because we're made for connection. Listen, God didn't make Eve because Adam needed a sex partner. And he didn't make Eve because Adam needed some biscuits and gravy. And he didn't make Eve because Adam needed somebody to clean up his garden. He said he made Eve because he said it's just not good for a person to try to do life by themselves. It's it's not the way God designed. He's like, no, no, no. You, You can't do this by yourself. And then look what it says. When every part does its share then the whole body grows. And this is this third reason why we all come together, because of purpose, individual and corporate purpose. That's why you have to gather. You gather for power, you gather for people, you gather for purpose. Because here's what it says. You have a purpose, and when we all do our purpose, the body does its purpose. Wasn't worship good 
today? Didn't they do good? You know what would have been interesting? Is if they were all done exactly the same thing they just did, but all at their houses. Wouldn't that have been interesting? Like Erin could have been at her house singing and Pastor Colin could have been at his house singing and Josh could have been at his house playing keys and Mark could have been at his house playing drums and, and all the 87 guitar players could have been at their houses. <laughs> like, you know, like, like Michael and Dennis and Luke and, you know, they, they could all, they could all been and then Destiny and Steve, all of, they would have done exactly the same thing, played exactly the same parts, sang exactly the same notes, but it would not have had the power are the purpose that it fulfilled in this room today. Why? It's exactly a picture of the body. Because when we all step into our individual part, the whole body steps into its purpose. So we don't just gather for us. We gather for him and we gather for them. But when we gather, we gather because of, of power and people and purpose. I want to talk just briefly about purpose. Number four, purpose. I won't take second. I'm more convinced than ever in the purpose of this church. And let me give you the purpose in a clear way, and then let me kind of give you where I think we're going. We've always said that, hey, we want to reach people that don't know Jesus and help them believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. Everybody say that with me. Ready? Believe, belong, become, and build. Now, why do we want that for everybody? Because when you look at Genesis, when God made man, he said, let us make man to believe in us, you know, according to our likeness, to belong to us, right? And then um, in our image, to become like us and let him have dominion, let it build like us. So it's, it's in the Bible. In the, in the Great Commission, go to all the world, preach the gospel. Why? So they would believe. Those who believe would be baptized. They would belong. Then they would become disciples. They would become, and then they would go preach the gospel and build the kingdom they would build. So why do we say believe, belong, become, and build? Because that's God's plan, not just for me. That's God's plan for you. It's God's plan individually for every person in this room. Everybody say it again. Ready? Believe, belong, become, and build. So how do we do that? Well, we say the weekend service, like today, this is about believing. Because it's not enough to have believed, to have had believed, or have to have believed. There we go. John said, these things I write that you would continue to believe. So when I believe in God, believe, I get eternal life. When I continue to believe in God, I experience abundant life. And that's what God wants for you. And that's why every weekend is important. Uh, we have a successful business lady in our church. She's on serve team. But she was in a leadership class that we had not too long ago. And I never forget, I used to do this all the time. But I would say, if you will give me 40 weekends of your next year, your life will never be the same. If you will be in this place with me, with our family, with Pathway, for the next 40 weekends, your life will never be the same. And, and now, of course, to me, that's crazy because that gives you 12 weekends you can miss church. But the national average is most people miss about 24 to 28 weekends a year. So over half the year, you're not in church. And, and so I said, if you give me 40 weekends, you can take 12 off, but give me 40. And she stood up and she said, you know, I heard you say that. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give, very smart lady, very successful. She said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him 40 weekends and see what happens. And she said, my life has never been the same. Why? Because she believed and she's continuing to believe. 
She's walking in abundant life now. And, and so we say believe, and then we say belong. This is life groups. Today, we're signing you up to get in life groups. You can't do life alone. Life happens in a group. This is God's plan for you. You won't make it by yourself. Life is going to happen and you're going to need people. And so we belong in a family with a group of people. Believe, belong, become. This is next steps. Like when we say we're following, here's my question. If you say you're following Jesus, let me ask you a question. When's the last time you moved forward? Because following implies movement. And if you're still the same spiritually that you were a year ago doing the same things, nothing's new, nothing's changed, not believing God in a different way, not saying you're not saved, no condemnation, don't hear any of that. I'm just saying, you're saying you're a follower. Why aren't you moving? Do you feel like God's sitting still? No, we become like him one step at a time. That's why we have the Freedom Conference. It's another step of discipleship, of becoming like Him. That's why going to life group is becoming, you know, um, leading a life group is becoming. There's all these next steps. Serving is becoming. That's the last thing that, that we believe belong, becoming, build. God wants to build His kingdom. Where it starts on a serve team. Like being saved and serving are synonymous. Save people, serve people, right? Save people, serve people. Save people, say that. Save people, serve people. Why would I say it? Because the way it is in the Bible. It's a foreign concept to be saved and not be serving to the New Testament church. And so, and so this has always been our vision. Believe, belong, become real. I hope every person in here is believing. You give me 40 weekends, belonging in a life group, becoming, taking next steps, going to Freedom Conference, whatever, and building on a serving. I hope every person's in here. And listen, can I, I'm going to be very bold. I just, I don't know. I feel this. If you're sitting up here and disqualifying everything I'm saying, you need to go pray about that. If you're sitting there, well, I, I don't need to serve. I don't want to serve. That's for everybody else. I don't want to get in a life group. I was in a life group one time. Yeah, Jesus was too. And one of his members was Judas. But I'm just saying, we, sometimes we just need to check our hearts a little bit and say, why am I sitting here arguing with him like this is the plan of God for every person and either I'm doing it or I'm not. If I'm not doing it, don't feel condemnation, but don't argue with the Holy Spirit when he's like, hey, you need to get in a life group or hey, you ought to get on the serve team or hey, you ought to take a next step or hey, you ought to commit to 40 weekends. Why would you argue with committing for? You just said we want revival and then I say, hey, give us 40 weekends. You're like, you know, I can't do that. I'm just kind of busy. I got other things going on. Come on, Bubba. Come on. Okay, I'll be nice. Everybody together, ready? Ethel, there you go. And this is always going to be our vision, but can I tell you, um, I'll tell you something. And I won't say it all again because we've talked about it, but while I love this, I come back to that people and presence people and presence. Like this is the plan of God. This is discipleship. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Believe, belong, become, and build. And, and we're going to do that. But for me, I'm like, God, we, I want your presence like never before. I want your presence like never before. I want that place where your presence invades. Where, where like the glorious presence of God fills the room. Like some of you, I know for some of you, maybe you've never been in, I was in an environment. I have been in environments 
where the presence of God was just so overwhelming. I'm not talking about where people did weird things. Again, remember, I'm not weird, and weird people scare me, okay? And I've met plenty of weird people full of the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit's fault. He's not weird, but sometimes the Holy Spirit can be in a weird person. And they're not bad, they're just weird, right? And so, and right now, everybody has one in their family, and if you're sitting here thinking, my family doesn't have a weird person, they're all thinking about you, okay? So, But for me, just my heart's cry, and you can stand, but my heart's cry like never before is, God, we just, I I want your presence. I want your presence, just like we sang today. Like, God, build your church. Like, build it your way. Like, we we don't subscribe to any model. We don't subscribe to any um, ideologies. I mean, we, we have our beliefs, but, but God, like what we need, like what we need more than anything is your presence. And guys, this is just what burns in me. Like, I wish I had another way to explain it. I wish there was something else to say, but I'm just saying, I love everything about our church and I love all the people, but like today, I just want to stir you up, stir you up and say, come on guys, let's check our heart about lost people. Is that a burden? Let's, let's check our heart about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's check our heart about gathering in the house of God. And then let's check our heart about how do we move forward as a church in the purpose that God has called us to. To say, God, we just want to see you move. We just want to see you move. We want you to build your church through us. You build your church. Like Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And this is, this is my heart. I just, I just want to see God. I just, when we started the church, I just felt like there's something God wanted to do here in this city. I feel like there's something God wanted and I'm more convinced than ever. And I'm just saying, God, do it. I, I want us, yeah, build belong, you know, believe, belong, become a builder. I want us to do that. But I want us to be full of the Spirit of God, to be full of the presence of God, to have a burden for the people of God, passionate about the presence of God, assembled together in the purpose of God. This is our time. This is our hour. And so, God, we just thank you today. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every person that considers themselves a pathway person today, whether they're in this room or whether they're online, it's not important. God, I just thank you for each one. And God, I want us, I want us, God, to not fall short of anything you've destined us for. And God, I want us to do everything you've, that's in your heart, not in my heart even, not in our heart, but God, everything that's in your heart, put it in our heart. God, where our hearts are synchronized with your heartbeat. God, where we won't rest or be satisfied until we've seen you move and seen you do, God, more than we can ask, think, or imagine. I'll tell you this real quick, church. This is kind of dumb, but it was something God used to speak to me. So I had these shoes. Y'all know I like shoes. So I had these, you can custom make your own shoes. And no, it's not expensive. Don't be writing me an email. 
It's not expensive to do. It's really no more expensive than just buying a pair of shoes. But I wanted, I wanted to celebrate today, so I custom made these shoes. In fact, they say Pathway on the back. Um, and when I ordered them, y'all got to know a couple things about me. Number one, I'm a little bit colorblind. And, and number two, I'm impatient. And so when I was, I, you design them yourself, so I was using the, the app, and I was designing them myself, and then I wasn't logged in. So after I spent all this time designing these shoes, they say you got to log in, and then it reset. And then the fruit of the Spirit was tested in my life. And so I went through again and designed the shoes really quick, but the very bottom, if you notice, is green. It was supposed to be gum, not green, which is a different look. Um, but in, in my impatience and my color blindness, I hit green instead of gum. And so when, when the shoes got here, I was so excited, I pulled them out, and I'm like, they got a green sole on them. I was a little bit disappointed because green's not necessarily my favorite color. And I like was like, man, I was going to do something so cool. I was going to design these shoes, and birthday, and I put green on them. And the Holy Spirit said green's the color of growth. And this is what I heard the Lord say. It's so dumb how God can talk to you. But, you know, or talk to me sometimes. But I heard the Lord say, I want you to believe me for more fruit in the next two years than you've seen in the last 12. And I was like, now I'm so excited to wear my green shoes because I'm like, God, I'm believing you for more in the next two years than we've seen in all of the last 12 years combined. That you're going to heal more, save more, deliver more. We're going to have more of your presence and more of your spirit. We're going to see your glory and your favor. We're going to see transformed lives. Come on. We're going to see more in the next two years than we have in the last 12. And so I was like, come on, Jesus. You build your church, God. You build your church. Like, that's why we say so. Build your church. More. That's my word for the next two years. Just more. God, you can have more of me because I want you to do more through me. You can have more of me because I want to see more of you. You can have more of me because you want to do more. God, there is more coming in the next two years than I've seen in the 12. Come on. Y'all want to sing that? Let's just sing this as we close. Come on.
excited. Man, you lose your mind over the Cowboys game the other night, and you're upset because I'm jumping up and down because Jesus is king of the world. All right, listen, if you're on the prayer team, we want you to come. We want to pray with you today if you have a need for prayer, just like we would anytime. If you're online, you can text my pathway prayer to 77977. If you need a relationship with Jesus, then we want to pray for you. And if you if you feel dead on the inside, this salvation is, is not about making bad people right. It's about making dead people alive. And if you feel dead on the inside, we'll pray. If you just, you know what, last night we prayed for the serve team, just people who wanted just a fresh touch of God on their life, just wanted to be full, filled up. And if you want that, we'll pray for you today. So we'll pray for anyone who needs prayer today. Um, listen, guys, I love you so much. Get in a life group. Let God change your life. Say yes to him. Ask him for more. And let's come back next weekend. We'll be at our house, but come back next weekend just after an encounter with God. Just hungry to see God more. Can we do that? And hey, don't come by yourself next weekend. Find one of those heathen, heathen friends and get them to come to church, all right? Listen, I love you. You're amazing. You're awesome. You're wonderful. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for what you're about to do that we're not even ready for. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on. God bless you. We love you.